This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. You know, the first hundred years of the church, starting like 30 AD to 130, what are most people doing in a setting what does it look like to engage with scripture as we like to say now? How do people engage with text? Yeah, because because I would really say you see a number of things going on in the first century, which is what was really informative when I was getting into my research of, and and I've I've used the term there was really a public reading mania going on in the first century. So it's kind of the trend of the day. Um, and so even some of the historians writing during the first century were talking about the distinction and line being blurred between authors and readers. So mm. it was damaging the what they would say was the intellectual fabric of the empire. And so everyone seemed to want to become popular, wanted to become well-known. Teachers were talking about kids just wanting to bypass and fast track their education in order to participate. So you see all these you know, literary contests going on of, of you know, even uh, young students being involved in it. So I, I wrote an article on an 11-year-old boy who was participating in this these Capitoline games and these poetry contests, and he writes this poem, and, and his parents erect this funerary monument when he had passed away, just talking about his competitions young. Now, and this was a not well-to-do, this was a slave. Mm. This was somebody, you know, not in the upper echelon of, you know, the society. And so all that to say, there was a lot of things going on in both and just in culture, whether it was Jewish, whether it was Christian, whether it was pagan or Greco-Roman. So there really were um, a lot of things going on, even to the point of, and I, and I share a few humorous examples that maybe some readers or listeners would enjoy of, you know, Marshall talks about how annoying it was walking into any bathroom and hearing people reading everywhere. Even people, he's like, gosh, can we kick this guy out of here? I just want to go to the bathroom. Or you have Ovid talking about once he was exiled to the to uh, to the island there, he says, what's the point in writing something? It's like dancing in the dark if you write something that's not read communally. Mm. And so you have other examples of people talking about um, women faking going into labor in order not to hear Nero read because he was he was bad. <laughs> and so the, these people that would read things or present things communally <laughs> or physicians prescribing yeah. communal reading when somebody had a fever, when somebody couldn't sleep, <laughs> which might be a funny anecdote uh, at some point Yeah, yeah. Um, when they had stomach aches. So from all different stratas, from all different areas, all kinds of people had the ability and were engaging in this reading, writing, and, and even copying texts. And so it was broader than I think sometimes we imagined it was. Yeah, so thinking of Hellenistic Judaism, how far? I mean, do you think there's some way in which synagogal Judaism is participating in this culture, learning from this, or is this? I, I I'm do. Sure this is, you this even is see debatable, in, right? inscriptions over, like the Theodosius inscription, where it talks about this place is devoted to the reading, the communal reading, and so that that mm. that word. So there's a particular word that connotes this communal reading, anagenosis. So that's the that's one of the words, not the only one, but one of the key words that I use in my book, in my study to say, you see this in inscriptions, you see this in graffiti, you see this on, you know, um, there's there's a well-known popular phrase in first century graffiti that it says something to the extent of, I admire you wall for not having collapsed 
despite holding up the monotony of so many writers. Hmm. And so there's just this idea now we don't typically associate graffiti with the upper echelon of elite people because because right. the response back is often wasn't this just the higher echelon of these elite people well no there was really this populist level engagement of writing and reading and so um so now to kind of transition or, or i mean we can flesh it out a little bit more but to kind of transition into the sacred space or into what we'll say either a synagogue and or a christian setting which the Christians largely right. inherited their practices, reading practices from the Jewish synagogue. But um, so, yeah, so then it would be the, the difference there that a distinction that I would say or found in my research is whereas, you know, Marshall or Ovid or somebody might've done something and they're making a name for themselves or they're, pu they're publishing their books and their works, or they're talking about, Hey, who's play my students are plagiarizing my stuff. You know, when you get into um, you know, some of the others uh, that are writing, but in the Christian setting, in the sacred space, you see there being more of a, um, I want to, I want to say the thing of this, uh, you know, obviously there's a, a community. I mean, they would call themselves family, and so there was a family aspect of, and, and the phrase I like to use is just kind of us together under the word as a family. So we're under something, we're submitting to something. So we kind of check all of our things at the door. We come together, and we're there to be, you know, um, it, we're in a sacred set setting listening to a sacred text, which is different than just going to a dinner colloquium or a, you know, a banquet setting where you might just hear the, the work of an author and you give some feedback, you talk about it, but that's it. Everybody goes on their way. There really was this aspect of how is this transformative? How is this forming us together as a family? So there was unique elements in a Christian setting. Yeah. Um, yeah and I think in the Greco-Roman world, you get a lot of like a lot of side side eye where people are like, oh, these people, they just like to spout off. I mean, that's constantly yeah. that's that's actually how you make your mark is by saying who's not worth listening to, right? Yeah, um, no, that's right. Which uh, which is even another key thing of you'd see published everywhere in inscriptions, on um edicts that were published and 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 posted. You have these warnings, you have these fines, you have these, you know, all the well, would that have been pointless if nobody could read them or nobody could access right. them or nobody? So there, why, why did the government fear? Why would they exile authors if nobody could read? Why right. would they have? Why would they have a fear of the populace getting in touch with the stuff if nobody could understand it? And so hmm. I, that's where I think there's a little bit of a uh, in in the broad sense of the consensus in biblical scholarship of this idea of. I think our problem today is thinking nobody was reading or engaging text back then. And I think their right. problem was everyone was. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the literacy issue because this is hotly contested, especially Iron Age. But uh, yeah. even Greco-Roman, you have these different schools of how well, how much memorization was going on, how much yeah. reading was going on. So what's your your hot take on that? Of course, yours yeah. is not a hot. It's a very cold take. But <laughs> no, it is. Well, and actually, my new work was on that's coming out later this year. Um I actually went ahead and and, and offered a number because everybody, even when I wrote my book, they said, hey, you didn't give us a new number to, to wrestle with. You didn't give us a percentage. And I, and I kind of stayed away from that on purpose initially. But I think just the more I'm getting into it, and now I'm even five years past the publication of that book, um, I said, I can I don't have a difficult time imagining a 40 to 60%. And so wow. I feel like what's good about doing that is, one, if if we wind up landing on, you know what, it wasn't quite the majority. Okay, so it's less than 50%. Well, maybe it's a little bit higher than we thought. So maybe it's a little bit in the 50s. Well, I don't, what I want to stay away from is the extremes. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it was 10%, but I certainly don't think it was 90 something percent. It wasn't right. Puritans coming over here. And, and, you know, so, and there's a lot of documentation of, you know, of that and and how high literacy was at, you know, Harvard in the, in the beginning days, you know, 90. Right. And so I don't think it was at either end of the extremes. I think it was more so in the middle and given the yeah. location, given the area, it could have swung the needle a little bit, but I, I just, I disagree with the 10% or lower and nobody could read or engage text because that's just not what the evidence suggests. Well, and also just sociologically, I mean, even if you're only hitting that 30 to 35%, that's a critical mass that makes a big difference yeah. in how people engage text, how they write, how they think, et cetera. I, I agree. You know, um, I was asked in a, in a different interview, um, if you were to sum up everything that you learned about early Christian reading practices, and I thought for a minute, I said, okay, I could do it in four words. They did it communally. Hmm. Because when I look at whether it was pagan, Greco-Roman, Jewish, it wasn't just, and even that that comment of Ovid, what's the point of doing this if this there's not a shared, if there's not this interaction? So I would just say, if you want to know everything I learned about just Christian reading practices in the first century is they did it communally. So they read it, they discussed it, they dialogued about it, they they wrote about it. So it's really the communal aspect of hmm. it that I think is radically different than what we see today. Because today our tendency is, We've become so fragmented, divided, compartmentalize our our even faith and our reading practices to where there's this huge divide. And and I just don't see that in the early centuries of doing it alone. So it's just me and my Bible, you know, yeah. or it's just 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 me and Jesus. That's that all I never, need. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that was I've been a big. pastor, so I know. Yeah. I've, I've right. actually heard people say those things. Uh yeah. the okay, so even that word communal probably needs to be fleshed out too, uh, because we think of communal. I mean, some people might think of their church community as a bunch of people that are like them, right? (laughs) They're essentially same race, speak the same language, same dialect, same schools, et cetera. Yeah. And and there's certainly, so I'll first address it on my initial definition of it in the book was to cast the widest net possible. So when I said communal, I was just talking where two or two or more are gathered and that, right. and I didn't just do that as far as a biblical reference. It was literally, where do you see people getting together? Cause sometimes you could have plenty, the younger could have just a few friends over. Well, hmm. that still counted, right? I mean, counted in the sense of right. he was amongst friends or you and I going through a PhD program, there could be a small gathering, a group discussion amongst our cohort. Well, that cohort might have been three, might have been five, right, might have been ten, right. but that that counts, right? So, I started off with a very basic definition to cast a broad net to see what you know what I could do. But again, transitioning into the sacred space, I'd say that word has a lot deeper and more important meaning that needs to be fleshed out and defined. And I don't offer a definition in my book, nor have I tried to get into all the studies of how do we define community. But I certainly think there's an aspect. Largely that, again, it's not isolation. It's not me and me by myself. It's communal in the sense of it's with others in community. And so that there's not a particular number I have in my mind or, but again, transitioning into the sacred space, I'm calling it that just to be, you know, academic, but meaning us as a community or the Christian setting or religious setting, I think there is a deeper there's a under the word aspect. There's a, we all believe and agree that this is the word of God. And so what, what does that mean? And so we can check those things at the door. It's not just that I'm trying to find people that are like me, or mm-hmm. um, there was a book wrote, that was written called the compelling community to where, yeah, that sounds good that, you know, if somebody walks into my church and they're a young single mom and I say, Oh, here's the young single moms group. Well, 
the church transcends actually all that because it's it's we shouldn't just gravitate to those that are we're like we need to actually find you know what if it weren't for the gospel you and I wouldn't be friends or we wouldn't right, be brothers right. in Christ so we're looking for those so I thought that was a great little take and he gives a great examples in that book um, like I said compelling community of how the church is different in that respect so yeah. uh, so to your point I think no we need all that <laughs> right. I mean, I can't say amen to that hard enough. So, uh, and if, if Pliny, you know, the younger is to be believed the the fear of the contagion of Christianity is that it crosses all of these boundaries, the yes. old, the young, the women, the men, the country, the city folk, the poor, the slave and the free. Right. So, Absolutely. um, also the, the, the community is going to be, uh, at least in the first half uh, or the, the second half of the first century, it's going to have a lot of Jewish influence as well, which makes me think, I mean, I don't know how much time you spent in Jewish scholarship, but, uh, you know, Jews are kind of famous for arguing uh, their yes. way through scripture, right? Even to uh, this day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And, and I, I kind of love it, actually. It's one of yeah. the things I love about working in Jewish communities uh, as well, is there's this sense of, well, here's what the text says, but, you know, maybe it means this, or maybe it means this, and this kind yes. of vigorous debate. And so it makes me think even that communal reading and discussion of scripture might be less dogmatic than even we're used to. Absolutely. And I'd say we need to retrieve that because that's what you see in the early centuries. You see this. And so if, if I were to emphasize, and I know at some point we're going to get to the whole biblical literacy question is it's largely not whether you're reading it, listening to it, it's whether you're in community with it, whether you're actually in, in a, you know, we could use the Christian, the, the religious jargon of discipleship of, right. you know, mentoring. So, but the, but the core of it is communal to where, yes, weaknesses are offset when we do it together. Perspectives are offered. So it's funny to me when I read a lot of leadership books, you have guys like the Michael De, uh, Lincioni's and everything talking about leadership. But all ideas should be on the table. And I'm like, that's the way it's always been, right? In the yeah. abundance of counselors, there's victory. So <laughs> right, I think, right. like you said, in the Jewish context, there should be, hey, if there's 10 of us, there's 11 opinions, you know? So <laughs> I, I really, that's what you see. And so I, I would really argue strongly for seeing that in the first century and almost what do we do to retrieve this communal aspect of us being able to dialogue, expound, discuss, interact on the text. Um, it does take, uh, uh, you know, a, a certain level of basic literacy with the Bible. So you got to kind of get people into the room where they understand what's going on so they can have yeah. these discussions, which, you know, there's lots of fluid ways to do this. It also, if I can just be controversial for a second, it also requires pastoral leadership that can handle the challenge, right? That yes. can handle uh, someone saying like, I'm not sure this text is doing what you think it's doing, right? Yeah. The, the Inigo yeah. Montoya is in the room, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and I find that that is less and less lacking in American church leadership. Uh, maybe it's never been there, or maybe I've only been exposed to parts of it, but I feel like you really have to have a very square head on your shoulders and, and you have to be kind of convicted that, uh, the wisdom of the room is always greater than the wisdom of any, indi any individual in the room. Um, yes. and I just don't find that a lot of people carry that conviction. I know. Well, and, and that's where you, so then to create that culture and you create that culture to say, this is what it looks like. And how do we disagree without being disagreeable? How do we have dogma without being dogmatic? Cause I mean, really you're looking at the attitude. I mean, so right. you have all these different things of, we need to help change the attitude as pastors over congregations. And so how do we encourage a book culture? 
How do we foster this idea that this is important and show that it it is an importance and even a value of our church. And so whatever church that may be. So, you know, whether it's starting the groups, whether it's publishing reading lists, whether it's, you know, um, and so that's where, so to say, where have I even seen it done? Well, I've seen some churches that do create that sense of, Hey, here's, you know, here's what we're reading this summer or, you know, Hey, join this. We have different reading groups throughout the whatever. And, and again, it's, it's certainly it's staple is going to be God's word, but then there's other, other books, other resources, other commentary. So you're just going to be wrestling with it. But the most formative time in my life and even to this day is communal reading groups. So, well, Hey, yeah. let's wrestle with, you know, screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, or let's go through Chesterton or let's go through. So we'll have, or even some of the great works throughout history, Augustine's confessions or whatever it is. So let's chat it and talk about these. And then you have, let's just say 15, 20 saints bearing in on the discussion, bearing in on the text. And that's the, that's where I think literacy goes up when deep faith gets deepened, when all those things, you know, I think there's a reason why one of Jesus's primary teaching methods was asking questions, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's, there's a reason why. 90% 90% of the use in the epistles is plural. It's not individual. So right. a lot of times we hear it or read our Bibles in trans- lost in translation, right? So it, it needs to be translated y'alls. I know. It's just we, flat I'm, out. I'm we need a y'all it. translation out there. <laughs> we, we the rest really are do. lies. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's the reason why we have all the one another's. It's the reason why Jesus sent them out in pairs. You, you think today, today, I feel like people be like, Jesus, what are you doing? You could have covered twice as much territory. There's lost souls. There's people that need to hear the gospel. <laughs> And it's no, there's wisdom in us doing it together. So just everything about the community is really, I think, at the heart of the conversation. Uh, so I want to go back to that again, the very first question I posed to you, which we've yet okay. to answer. Okay, <laughs> but sorry we're, about but we're no, it's perfect because we're now poised to answer it. Okay. If I was welcome to one of these hush hush communities, like, hey, uh, you're in my household. I want you to come meet this Jesus, right? I want you to meet yeah. this Jesus community. Um I come into that community. What am I going to see in a, we can say worship service or we can call it whatever yeah. in, a, in a community gathering. What are we going to see? Yeah. So, so I will go ahead and say, and and I, I make the comment of communal reading events were kind of like fingerprints. None of them were exactly the same in every particular. Mm-hmm. So there, which I think is a healthy thing. There, there, there should be a, a, an element of uh, openness and flexibility. And it's almost like communion as often as you will. Well, they will it this long or often. Right. And so, so I, I like that, and I want to emphasize that up front. So, but when you would walk in, I said there are some common elements, and so some of the common things you would see is yes, a reading of a text. So there was something there that they would be reading, expounding, explaining, discussing. You see it in Acts. You see it in others. Hey, you know, Paul writes to the Colossians. Hey, when you're done with this, send it to the Laodiceans. Read their letter as well. So there's a networking, and so I think you'd see a networking. You'd see a um, uh, a, a text being there, what we're there to discuss and expound, and then really a sense of, and, and I'm even use the word reverence to what was going on. That there was this sense of other world, world like uh, that supernatural. There was something different about being in that versus I just showed up to hear this guy pontificate on his thoughts of whatever. So there's mm-hmm. a different, different mindset even going in. And so if you were to walk in, but there, there were different settings. I mean, there was the hall of Tyrannus, there was the chariot, there was the, the synagogues there were, so there was outdoor indoor there. So the venues would be been all over the place, but the common denominators, some of them would have been, again, there was a reading, but, but again, I'm emphasizing the discussion, the interaction, you know, Scott McKnight um, uh, made a comment talking about communal reading. He says, you know, he goes, sometimes I have a tough time reading the book of Romans and not thinking that every time you see all these questions answered, especially the chapters where it's like question, 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 
there wasn't almost a stop in the dialogue and discussion. Right, right. And so that's where is another example of when you're reading these, and, and again, there's 980 some odd questions just in the New Testament. So it's full of questions, which I think questions beg to be answered. So let's dialogue, let's discuss. So I really would emphasize when you'd walk in, you'd see a lively discussion, kind of like when you right. were just mentioning, man, if I was going to walk into a room of, of you know rabbis, they'd all be discussing dialogue yes. and disagree and debating. But then there was still the collegiality. There was still the love for one another. There was still the, you know, hey, we can agree to disagree. We're still going to go out and have a coffee or, you know, have a pint yeah. or whatever. So, right. Well, and to this point, I mean, I think you see uh, in the pastoral epistles, but also in other Paul's epistles, the evidence of this is don't tolerate a quarreler, right? <laughs> so, yeah. somebody who's just arguing about words, somebody who's just stirring up trouble, if that collegiality isn't there. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't think he's talking about politeness. If I know anything yeah. about ancient Judaism, yeah, he's yeah. really talking about people who are really trying to sow seeds of for that purpose. Yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're they've got a vendetta, they've got a, a axe to grind, they've got a propaganda, they've you know, and so for sure. I mean, so right. there, there are guards. So everything I say, there's qualifications, right? You, right? you can't in every sermon preach everything about, you know, all the qualifications, everything. So, but just generally speaking, I think you'd walk in and see, wow, that was a lively discussion that was enriching, that was that was uh, even transformative, that was even uh, enlightening. And you would see that. Yeah. So you can see where this is all headed if we're talking about the modern church today. Uh, yeah. Because we weren't we weren't talking about Sunday school class. We weren't talking about uh, mid midweek uh, whatever training or whatever Saturday morning uh, book, book club. We were talking about the worship service. Mm -hmm. And if I walk into, I mean, I went to seminary. You went to seminary. We were trained in homiletics. Yeah. And homiletics was specifically monological, not dialogical. In other words, yeah. it was us speaking to the church, uh, hopefully in some way prophetically. Um, yeah. Small p prophetically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, do we need to recapture something like this in the actual worship service? Yeah, well, and even looking at the early church, it's not that they only got together the one hour once a week on a right. Sunday deal. So I'd say there are different places and times and spaces for different things. So I would not take away at all from preach the word. <laughs> right. And so there needs to be a preaching of the word, and and my view of it is. So a lot of times I'll get pastors ask me, are we doing it right? Well, mm -hmm. yes, in the broad sense of the word, you're doing it. But again, it's not just that. Like it's that, but there's more, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is an expounding of the text. And so expository type preaching. So they're reading the verses, they're expounding it, they're explaining it, they're discussing They're you know, but even, but that's not it, right? So that's where I see the family getting together other times to where there's a lot of the rich discussions or afterwards or the, the follow-ups or the, mm -hmm. you know, different churches do it different ways. And I'm not trying to prescribe anything, but some churches are, they'll have groups during the week that discuss the sermon. So that's the time to interact on, you know, he said this, I disagree, mm -hmm. or I'm not sure about that. Or is that the time? Or even in the church uh, among the elders, uh, there's a time I'm um, speaking about my church, uh, you know, we're elder led. So there's times where people come in and say, hey, can we just talk about this issue, that issue among. So there are those times and spaces of it. Is it going to be an open forum on a Sunday during the service? Probably not. Um, you know, but are there times where there could be that? Yes. Uh, so right. again, just depends on the church, but um, to answer your question of what else might it look like? I think that gets back to the culture of, are we creating those, opportunities for people to meet and gather and have the home uh, times uh, offer times at the church to be able to have these discussions and times have a, 
uh, it was Richard Bauckham one time said he does at his church. Um, oh, I can't remember what he called it. It was something like, you know, he had a he had a really nice little uh, sound bite, and I wrote it down somewhere. But so basically, you're just going to have a night with come with your questions. Let's just dialogue and, t- oh, and talk yeah. night, night of questions or whatever it was. But there's times and spaces that we offer to have that type of rich interaction and dialogue. I know there's a church when I was in Florida. Um, one pastor in particular, when it was his turn to come up for pulpit supply, he would take a broad swath. He'd take, you know, a person in this demographic, a person in this thing, and he'd have six or six to eight in the congregation come and say, Hey, I'm preparing my sermon. I want to go back, bounce back and forth and just get some input and some thoughts. How, how right. do you read this? How? And again, it always improved the sermon, right? right. It always bolstered the application, the, wow, I, I never would have caught that or seen that. So I think there's ways in which that can happen that even contributes to the, the, you know, Sunday, you know, uh, best. <laughs> so, so, so when you say the communal reading of scripture, you, you would include the pastor preparing a sermon can also be an act of communal reading. Well, not, I wouldn't say it can be the preparation if he, if it's happening communally. Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah. But I'd say, I would say him being up there reading. I mean, I, I would envision a letter of Paul gets delivered. They read it, but then where we see a period in the, in the book is over, there's the right. discussion now. And so, right. so that's where I'd say in a sermon, well, they didn't have, okay, bye. See you next Sunday. Here, right. That was your 45 minute deal. It was the, again, now the breaking of the bread and now let's, let's hang out for a couple hours. So yeah, the move back to more time together. So we meet infrequently and um, irregularly they meant frequently and often. And so I think the increase in us getting together and having that is just, you know, key. Yeah. But then also I wouldn't just say it's a service worship time on a Sunday. I'd say again, where are there the discipleship? I mean, Jesus called us to go and make disciples. And so it's us in a discipleship living, doing life together, kind of like, again, a Bonhoeffer. Um, right. and, and I think he started the conversation of saying, here's our day apart. Here's our day together. But then he makes a mention of this pulsation between the two. And that's where that book that I wrote, I mentioned, I wanted to flesh that out and say, this is to be the rhythm of your life of mm-hmm. time together with God, time together with others. You know, when when Jesus went to go spend time with God, it's not like he carried up his scrolls to go study his Bible. Right. It, you know, so and you and I had a little bit of a conversation of what is quiet <laughs> oh, time today? Don't, so, don't tell some people that I, I, <laughs> they, I know, they imagine I Jesus with the scrolls reading yeah, and meditating. And just having a, yeah, what's a my father party? have for me today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But anyways, um, so yeah, so that's where I think, but the conversations and and us being at the table, having these conversations, just like you're doing right now, is a start, is exactly what needs to happen for us to get on the same page. (laughs) So. So one of the things you, you mentioned kind of casually, though, but I think is important to consider at least is... That idea that you know a, a letter of Paul's is delivered and they and they read it and by read it you mean they read the whole thing and of course uh, I think most people believe that you have to have a trained reader because if you've looked at these manuscripts they don't necessarily read themselves uh, you kind yeah. of there's no punctuation the scriptio continua um, so you have to have people who have at least practiced it um, but I would dare to say that most people in church have never actually heard an epistle a letter in its, in its natural habitat, as we'd say. Yeah. And, and so certainly a couple of things there. One, I would say, um, because their convention of the day is not our convention of the day. And you weren't saying this, I'm just saying some people yeah. here, uh, means it was difficult to read. 
So I would disagree that they had to have a professional reader. Actually, there's a lot of examples in the evidence that suggest, man, he's got an accent or he's not pleasant to read or he's not a good reader. So they'll make comments, but the people were still reading. It doesn't mean right. they didn't read or we're only going to accept the best and the brightest and, and things like that, which again, I know is not what you're saying, but right. some people could hear it on. Yeah, they only had certain people that were readers. Well, I'd say, no, no, no. You want people participating. You want people involved, right? And so, so you have examples of that. And then even the uh, continuous script that you mentioned, I'd say, you know, the, the Jews did a, did a, a, a very well without vowel pointing for a while, you know, right. or they, they did very, so again, conventions of their days, even though it wasn't ours, doesn't mean it was hard, but I'd say, um, to the point of, uh, the second thing you had mentioned of, uh, hearing people, the whole oh, people here today, yeah, did they, yeah. did they hear it? Yeah. And was it, so we don't often hear it together and I'd a hundred percent agree. We get sound bites or we get, you know, uh, uh, things pulled from context. We talk about devotional works that here's your, your verse of the day. Well, it's stripped of its context. So I think it's, you don't get that as often. But because we are in a different context, I don't think like they would have given anything to have had a had a Bible back then. So right. we have a Bible today. And I don't think we're, we're saying to everybody, we want to go back to when nobody had them. Hey, everyone put your Bibles away and just listen right. to the whole thing. So the pastor can only cover a certain amount right during a service in our cultural or our, our cultural context today. So I don't see it as we're not doing it. I think, again, for this reading this time. This is our reading. This is our portion. The church has done that almost forever. I mean, so you have early centuries taking a verse, taking a section, expounding it, explaining it. Even Paul in Acts, it would say, and they looked at verses, they looked at portions of, you know, here's Jesus showing the proof from the scriptures. So right. I don't think it was, he read the whole book of Isaiah and then said, hey, and look at this, this chapter right here, <laughs> right? I think it would have been he yeah. zeroed in on that and discussed it and talked about Jesus in the synagogue in Luke four. He opens up, he reads a portion, he expounds it. So I don't think on church it would, we need to have, we need to have a longer time to have the entire letter read. Then the pastor will get up and talk about it. I, I don't see that biblically or even, I mean, you can see a few events or occasions in the old Testament of let me read the whole law of God. Right. Well, those that's are pretty prayer. monumental. Yeah. yeah. That's monumumental. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, mean, I, so I, I wouldn't say yeah. we need to move away from what we're doing today in that respect and go back to have somebody walk up, read the whole epistle, and then let's talk about it. But I think there should be occasions where somebody gets to read it all together. Right. Yeah. Or, or listen, hear it read or listen. Yeah. You know. If you've never listened to all of Romans together and just sit yes. back and listen to the whole thing. I mean, yes. there's some there's some ways in which uh, there's a, there's some theory in Hebrew poetry like Song of Songs or Ezekiel, the visions of Ezekiel, they yeah. it just overruns your imagination. Like at first yeah. you're trying to like picture everything that's being described. And at some point you just give up and you're like, I don't, I don't even know which way is up anymore. Yes. Right. And that, that actually well, it's, it's, itself has its own effect on you. Uh, it right. paints, it paints a particular picture and impresses certain things that, that maybe the the author wants to get into you. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, an analogy that comes to my mind, and I was given this, and this probably won't make the cut for quotes, but, uh, you know, a pastor once said, especially new believers, he says, you know, you need to just chug it like a beer. Yeah. So you need to read an entire book at a time. You need to get the overarching, the overarching meta narrative. You need to understand. So just this whole year, it was a discipleship program. He goes, this whole year, I want you to chug it like a beer. Later on, you'll sip it like wine. You'll take that verse, you'll take that pericope, you'll take that parable, and you'll just sit there and you'll meditate on it and reflect on it. And then sometimes you take a shot, right? The, the verse, the word, I'm doing a word study, I'm doing this. Yep. So that was just another analogy that helped me 
there are times for all yeah. three. And yeah. so, and, and that's when, and I know that's what you're saying too, of it's not just a one size fits all. It's, we need to read the whole thing, the whole book of Romans. But as far as preaching on a Sunday, I think he's still doing it. Yeah. It, but yeah. Uh, literally the phrase I use with my students, is, with the ones who don't really know scripture that well, which is a lot of them is, yeah. uh, is gulp, don't sip. Yeah, uh, time, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, literally. I mean, that's like thank my you. That gives me sticker. a non-alcoholic version. Yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Gulp, don't <laughs> okay. sip. Uh, there are appropriate times to sip, but you have to gulp first. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and and I, and I really do think more about like what's your what's your level of familiarity. Yeah. This book I'm reading on how how reading works and how we engage with digital versus paper and audio. One of the things it's a very simple idea that we all would go duh. Yeah, but reading comprehension is directly related to how much you know about the topic you're reading about before yeah. you started reading this thing, right? So part of it is just in uh, in the military, they call it weapons familiarity. You like, you just got to be around it, understand how the pins work. And, uh, and then we can talk about the particulars. Um, the, uh, okay. So man, we just hit a lot of, a lot of topics going back to the ancient world of reading. Um, Justin uh, Martyr makes this kind of famous comment, which I'm, which I was in your book as well early on, I think somewhere. But this kind of we we gather together and we read as long as we're able to stand it. And I, I actually I don't know what the Greek is there, but um, yeah, as, but as long as time permits, and so as long and, as time that, permits, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and absolutely, and, and that's where you'd say, well, there's different ways to understand and take that. Is right. as long as time permits, meaning we have an hour, right. So as long as time permits, we're going to read. You can do it for then, yeah, 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 and and so or or as long as the time we've allotted for it, or as long as the day is long, as long as the sun's up. I mean, so there's different ways you can interpret it. Right. I, I think again, getting back to the 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 practical or the you know how we see it, there's not a prescribed way. It's more of here's one here he's describing. Hey, we did it this way as long as time permits. But and I think but I think embedded in there is we read it 21st century of reading. So it's just a guy standing there reading monologue, know anything. And I think he, there would have been the, we all know what we mean by us reading together communally. So anagenosis. And so that's the word again. So, and that's where, why I didn't title my book, the public reading scripture, which would have probably alerted more people. Oh, that's a first Timothy 4.13 or, oh, that's whatever. Right, right. Because again, as, as we talked about a few weeks ago in that conference was it's communal versus individualistic. And so that's where I think a, a comment like Justin Martyr of saying, we're reading as long as time permits, meaning there is this rich, there is, again, there is a reading, but then there's, again, this, this communal aspect to us. I, I do see times where somebody would raise a hand and say, wait a second, that's not what I've always heard. Or, you know, think of uh, Augustine writing a letter to Jerome saying, there was an uproar in my congregation the moment I was reading Jonah chapter four, and you changed a word. Well, it stopped their time together communally because, hey, well, wait a second, or Ovid talked about his daughter doing the same thing, being in a thing, reading. And she said, wait, saying that's, that's not a tradition I heard. The story goes like this, right? And so the ending was different. The middle was it. So, so I think embedded in their reading together was this idea of sometimes there, somebody stops. There's a question. There, wait, um, I, I don't understand that. Or, you know, you and I have spoken to conferences and sometimes the, the you know, uh, we'll say, hey, save your questions for the end. But then there's other times, hey, if, if you have a question pops in your mind, raise right. your hand. So I think you would have seen that in the first century. Yeah. I think uh, I'm hearing from you. There's a plurality of approaches and yeah. many of them kind of like Paul's letter, a pro plurality of, of approaches, and they mostly are context specific. Uh, yeah. 
the the right approach for the right context. Okay, one final question. Um, Augustine makes uh, another famous statement about, I think it's Ambrose, who says he has this magical ability to read the words off the page without moving his lips or something like that. <laughs> uh, have you heard this before? Yes. So the, so his comment is more so that, and, and that's the whole argument of, was it silent reading or was it reading aloud? Like, could Ambrose have sat there and actually read without reading it aloud? Because right. there, there, there's an old understanding, and this didn't last too long, to be honest with you. There's a number of people that have already dismantled the argument and everything. Because of that phrase, people thought what they meant by, like, they had a difficult time. They never read silently. And they said, well, mm-hmm. look, Augustine said right here, I can't, he was surprised that he was just like you and I, like reading a book on a plane, right? We're mm-hmm. not reading aloud for everybody to hear. So they take that and thought that's how it's been for centuries. Nobody, right. nobody, nobody ever it. read yeah. silently to themselves. Read silently. Yeah. That's what I'd horrible. heard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that would be debunked. So there's, there's a, a myth buster. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right. So, uh, so when we talk about, uh, public reading, yeah. Cause that would, that would actually make for a very noisy library, I guess, if everybody's yeah. just sitting there, a cacophony. Yeah. 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 Uh, would make, it would make sense in the yeshiva, but not, uh, so much in the library. Yeah. Uh, well, Dr. Brian Wright, thank you very much for your wisdom and uh, and all your guidance on this uh, this minefield of early Christian reading of Scripture. Well, and thank you, Drew, for having me. I really appreciate the work you're doing and, and, and bringing me on today. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian Scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.